Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis, from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. The information and opinions expressed in Bone Talk are not intended to replace the services of trained and qualified health professionals or to be a substitute for medical advice of physicians. You may review the National Osteoporosis Foundation's full medical disclaimer at nof.org. Hello, and welcome to this issue of Bone Talk. My name is Claire Gill. I'm the interim CEO of the National Osteoporosis Foundation. And with me today is Dr. Tom Schuler. Dr. Schuler is president of the National Spine Health Foundation and chairman of its medical and scientific board and founder of the Virginia Spine Institute. He has previously been the spine consultant to the Washington Redskins and frequently treats professional and amateur athletes. Dr. Schuler is a pioneer in the advancement of disc arthroplasty, minimally invasive spine surgery, and regenerative therapies. He has revolutionized spine health care across the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area and the nation. Dr. Schuler is the Physician Assistant Fellowship Program Director at the Virginia Spine Institute. He is also a distinguished fellow in both the American College of Spine Surgery and the American College of Surgeons. Dr. Schuler is a member of the North American Spine Society and the U.S. Capital Chapter of the Young Presidents Organization. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Schuler. Thank you. Happy to be here. Let me just give a brief overview for our listeners who are just tuning in and would like to know a little bit more about osteoporosis and our specific focus today on the spine. Osteoporosis is a bone disease that occurs when the body loses too much bone, makes too little bone, or both. And the bone then becomes very fragile and makes it much easier to break. Some people can break bones by just getting a hug. Some people break a bone by sneezing. But for most, it tends to be a fall from a standing height or less that then causes a broken bone. And then Hopefully, that person is tested with a bone density exam to find out if the cause for the fracture was osteoporosis. Bone breaks of the spine are actually the most common type of fractures in people with osteoporosis. We call them vertebral fractures. And again, the importance of taking care of our spine as well as all of our bones is why we're here today talking with Dr. Schuler. So let's jump right in and find out a little bit more, Dr. Schuler, about the overall connection between bone health and spinal health. We know that it's really important for patients who suffer fractures to find out, you know, what was the underlying cause of that. And I know that that's a lot of what the National Spine Health Foundation does. Can you give us a little bit more background about how the National Spine Health Foundation came about? Sure. The National Spine Health Foundation was founded back in 2002, and it was founded by a group of patients who we call spinal champions, people who had overcome spinal problems. And they really saw, along with myself, this huge need to be able to talk directly to the patients. So many of our societies and organizations are focused on physicians, but nobody really talks to the patients. And so we felt there was a need to create a way to communicate directly to the patients. And so ultimately, this led the foundation's development we really focus on three things. We focus on education, and that education is of the population, of the patients, but also of the providers, also of the insurance companies, so that people understand what works, what is most effective, and how to get people better. The other two things that we focus on are our research, and we're involved in multi-center research and collaborating with centers across the country to help get data out so that it can help patients understand what works and have access to care. And the last is patient advocacy, that we're here to advocate for patients in terms of making sure that they have access to the best and most appropriate 
healthcare treatments for the spine. That's terrific. And obviously, there's a lot of synergies between the National Osteoporosis Foundation and the National Spine Health Foundation and the work that we do. And we look forward to being able to collaborate with you all more, especially about advocating on behalf of patients and you know the need for good bone health and good spine health. I mentioned earlier that vertebral fractures were among the most common osteoporotic fractures. But what are other spinal conditions that people need to be aware of? Well, when we take a look at spine problems, it really is the leading healthcare issue for the nation and the world. In fact, the leading cause of disability in the world and the nation is low back problems. So that's not even counting neck problems. It's huge. And it isn't just fractures. I mean, fractures are a very important and critical part of understanding what's going on. But the real issue comes down to a degenerative process. And life, unfortunately, is a degenerative process. And so when you're young, everything's healthy. But as we get older, things start to break down. So from from the spine standpoint, what critically is impacted is really the health of the ligaments, the facet joints, the discs. And ultimately, these things break down. And as they break down as we age, then we get more impaired. And this all gets worsened depending upon our lifestyle. What are we eating? How are we acting? What exercise are we doing? What kind of flexibility and mobility are we maintaining? What impacts have we had from a stress or a trauma? Bone health is critical when we deal with the spine because bone health is essential. And if you don't have strong bones, then they can get the compression fractures that you talked about where they collapse, they break. In terms of the spine, so the main answer to your thing is degenerative conditions of the spine, loss of mobility, arthritis of the spine. But in terms of the bone, we need to maintain bone strength. And ultimately, the key thing we know is that bones get stronger up till about the age of 30, 35, and then it's a constant withdrawal. So I always look at this as a big annuity program. You have to have the appropriate dietary intake of calcium, you have appropriate vitamin D levels as a baby, as an adolescent, as a teenager, as a young adult. And that's critical to build the biggest reserve of bone in all your bones, but especially your spine, to help ward off these compression fractures. And then ultimately, as you get older, need to maintain appropriate dietary intake of these essential vitamins along with appropriate impact activities to stimulate the development and maintenance of the bone so that the rate of loss is much less than can be accelerated. If you're not getting enough, if you're inactive, if you're on the medications that leach calcium from the bone, or ultimately if you're a smoker, which causes a greater loss of calcium from the bone and bone density. There's many things that we do that can impact. So it's important. We want to build the appropriate strength up to the age that you can put bone into your spine. And then beyond that, you have to optimize things to slow the rate of withdrawal and to protect your spine just from a natural standpoint. It's critical throughout. But as we talk about, I think when people forget that if we don't have good skeletal health, then it impacts so many other things within our health and our overall well-being, particularly as we age. I find that, you know, we talk about peak bone mass, as you said, you know, reaching peak bone mass, which, you know, as you said, we get when we're in our early 30s and not having the proper nutrition or not having the proper physical activity could impact that. But I'm really curious about your work with the Redskins and these elite athletes. And again, many of them who probably, again, those who have come right out of college haven't even reached peak bone mass. What do you work with them on? Is it, again, building that spine strength, making sure they have the right activities, the right nutrition base? What do you see from professional athletes that might be similar to just your regular armchair people who, athletes who just practice at home or amateur athletes? Well, the whole field of treating and managing professional athletes has evolved so much as time has gone on. Fortunately, athletes, especially the ones that are getting to the professional level, understand the critical importance of nutrition 
of appropriate conditioning and strength training, the days that an athlete could rely on their talent and get to a professional level and maintain it are gone. And so often the professional athletes who have any longevity, then they have significant dietary programs, exercise programs, and they have all the nutrition and fitness counseling. And that comes from either their own system, the teams, and that's not ultimately what I do as a consultant to these athletes. What I do is treat them if they have an injury. And so it's how do we get them back functioning and keep them optimally functioning if that happens. And so that's often done through more exercise, maybe some injections, maybe appropriate change in their fitness program or regimen or ultimately surgical correction. And so what I do is not more on the nutrition side, although we counsel them about it, but most of them at the professional level are very much involved. More importantly, in the high school level, that's where I see the real need for the counseling because high schoolers have their own perception of what healthy eating is or what eating should be. And many of them do require significant guidance and counseling to help them. And that's where we see the fractures occurring in the athlete. It's the term we call spondylolysis, or it's a fracture in the back of the vertebral body in the posterior part where we have little joints called facet joints. And there's an area between a facet joint for the vertebral body above and the one below. And that little thin area is where you can get a stress fracture in these high school athletes. And that's where we see it often, less commonly in, in professional athletes. Usually if they get it, it's more than it was developed in their adolescent years. And that's because their bone strength is not at peak strength. And some of them are being asked to do more through repetition or a training program than their skeletally immature bodies can handle. Usually by the time we get to college, the bones are strong enough that they can tolerate. And part of that's because of the significant physical training that's been going on does stimulate bone formation and bone strengthening. But in the adolescent athletes, that's where we get into trouble when too much load is put on, too much stress is put on, and these bones fail. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy these days about, again, you know, pushing the high school athlete to extremes or whatever. Like you said, sometimes it's just that they don't have good counseling to know what is the right movement, what is the right nutrition, what should they be doing as their bodies grow, and then like you said, haven't even reached peak bone mass yet. But I think there's lessons for that in all of us. You know, we know what to do as far as being physically active and getting enough calcium and vitamin D. And yet we have such a problem in this country with people not being able to maintain those healthy habits. And then obviously we rely then on support from the medical community to figure out how to fix some of these issues. I'm imagining there's a lot of advances in spine treatment and spine surgeries over the last several years. How has it changed, do you think? And how has it changed for the better? And what new sort of treatments uh, on the horizon or have come to fruition that you think have been the most helpful for people with spine issues? There's such a change in spinal health care over the past 20 years, and especially even the past 10 years. And that's because of a massive improvement in the technology that we have to treat people. When I say technology, I'm talking the surgical equipment that we have. Specifically, Historically, people would get a back problem and they'd be told to lay in bed for a lengthy period of time. That's probably the worst thing for most people to do. We want to get them moving because when you move and you keep everybody functioning, things work better. And part of it's because when you look at the spine, it's a very complex structure. Think of a gooseneck lamp, something that bends and moves, and you have to keep it all moving smoothly. And you think about it, in the spine, there's 33 vertebral structures vertebral bodies that make up the spine, there's really 25 functioning vertebrae when you realize the sacrum and the coccyx don't move very much. There's 23 discs. So 23 discs have to move and function properly. 
And each level has a disc and two joints in the back called facet joints. So there's 50 facet joints in the spine. So when you take a look at the spine in its entirety, you need 50 facet joints, 23 discs, and 25 vertebral bodies all functioning in motion. And it's critical that the bones have the strength to support whatever motion is going on. Now, when we talk to the surgical standpoint, big advances happen is that we now have what we call segmental fixation. That means we can grab hold of one vertebral segment. So the bone above, the bone below, the disc, and get stability with that. And for that, we either either putting in cages that open or distract the inner vertebral space, the space where the disc used to be, or putting mm-hmm. screws in the bone in some aspect, pedicle screws or vertebral body screws where we hold on and put either a rod or a plate to hold everything together. And that's where the osteoporosis or understanding bone strength is so critical is because the bones have to be able to support these instrumentations. With this advance of just getting one level, if we need to fix it and we can grab a hold of it very carefully with minimally invasive surgery using robotic guidance to put the instrumentation exactly where we need to with minimal dissection of the tissues, but if the bone's not strong enough to hold the instrumentation, then that's where we're getting a crisis. So I think it's critical that spine surgeons are checking the bone densities of their patient, understanding whether or not they can accept this kind of instrumentation. The other area we're doing is a lot of disc replacement. And when you put the disc replacement in, you take the disc out completely from the front, in the neck or in the low back, and then you put in a device to replace it. And when you put that in, you're completely dependent on the ends of the bone, that what we call the end plates, to support that disc. And so if the bones aren't strong enough, then that can subside into the bone and then you lose your alignment and you lose the functionality of that artificial disc. So it's absolutely critical that we have a good understanding of bone health, that we encourage bone health, that we maintain that. And that's something we do in all of our patients is encourage them to get their calcium and vitamin D in. If they're not getting it in, we get bone densities on just about everybody over the age of 50 and younger if there's risk factors for osteoporosis. And we ultimately take a look and say, can these people support the appropriate minimally invasive segmental instrumentation, which has totally changed the way healthcare is functioning and succeeding. I'd like to just summarize that. When you take a look at modern spinal health care, historically, people are like, oh, you have a back problem, your life's over. Oh, you have surgery, that's it, life's over. We now have incredible success with the modern technologies and techniques that we have. In fact, people look at hip replacement surgery, knee replacement surgery, and basically consider that pretty effective, that it helps with pain, keeps people functioning. And I know specifically, I've had both my hips replaced. I know that it definitely greatly improve the quality of my life. When you take a look at spine surgery, the data that we have now shows that modern spine surgery improves the quality of life better than hip replacement surgery and knee replacement surgery. So to know that we have these incredible technologies that are life-improving, life-altering for the better is so amazing because that stuff didn't exist in the 80s and earlier. And even in the early 90s, it wasn't very common. And now, because of the major technological advances, our knowledge and our ability to apply using all sorts of navigation and robotic surgery, we've had an incredible, huge improvement in the outcomes and the results. And really, we see people going back to playing professional football, to being rangers in the military, to doing all sorts of things after they've had a spinal fusion or a disc replacement. The other really exciting advance that that we're helping innovate and change is the use of regenerative treatments. So we're taking people's own body tissue. In the case of platelets, you can draw blood from an arm and 
centrifuge down and get the platelet-rich plasma out and use that to inject into structures or heal, or we take bone marrow from the pelvis where we concentrate it down, get the stem cells and all the different growth factors, and we can inject that into ligaments and discs to help heal so that we can avoid the need for many of these surgical interventions that keep people functioning, and especially in our professional athletes, this has been wonderful, but for everybody. And it's not just the young, it's also the elderly that we're finding huge success in using their own body's biology to heal and hopefully heading things off. Now, none of this matters if you don't have a good, strong spine because it all based good, healthy bones and strong bones. And that's what's the essential part. It is amazing, though, like I said, just the advancements that we've had over the last decades and how fast they come about and what a difference it makes, as you said, in an incredibly minor way. But I had like a herniated disc many years ago. And I was just floored that as soon as I had the spinal surgery, I got into recovery and they had me up and walking after eight weeks of such severe pain that you think, oh my God, this is never going to go away. And then, you know, really just instantaneous up walking after surgery, moving around and again, a simple surgery. So it's just amazing to see what's been happening and the advancements I've made. Because that, like you said, you weren't able to do that, you know, a couple of decades ago. So we're also lucky that all of these new advancements are coming about and allow us to really be able to give people back their quality of life. As you said, pain is such an incredible part of both osteoporosis and other aging issues. There's obviously the ones that we can fix surgically are terrific. And then there's others that, you know, take a little more time and that people have to find new resources for. And I know this probably isn't your area of expertise, but we get a lot of questions about osteoarthritis, which is very different than osteoporosis. So I imagine the same thing. There's probably arthritis of the spine that's very different from the spinal surgery things that can happen. Do you work in conjunction with others about like the spinal arthritis kind of stuff? Is there the same kind of arthritis that we get in other joints in the body? Absolutely. I mean, arthritis is absolutely a huge part of spinal health care. And when you take a look at the facet joints in the back of this and the breakdown that happens into them, it's the arthritic change that often leads to the severe pain and need for surgery. So that is what we fundamentally are treating. Now, when you're treating it, you have to be cognizant of the bone strength and bone health because that is essential. But ultimately, it's the degenerative cascade. It's this breakdown of the cartilage, breakdown of the collagen structures that lead to dysfunction and pain. Then you throw mm-hmm. on top of that lifestyle, lack of activity, obesity in many cases, comorbidities such as diabetes and sleep apnea and all these other things that lead to ultimate impact in people's health and their ability to function and move. And so it really is important to understand that, that arthritis of the spine is probably the number one source of problems that we as spinal specialists have to deal with. And ultimately, that's what we're really fighting. So it's a degenerative cascade. So that is directly what we have to deal with. And when you have a disc herniation, it happens because there's degeneration of the disc and then it fails and blows out and pinches a nerve. When you have spinal stenosis, which is a fancy word meaning narrowing of the spinal canal where the spinal cord runs or the nerves run. And that happens because of encroachment from spurs usually coming from arthritis of the spine, whether it's in those facet joints in the back or the disc in the front or some combination of that. And ultimately, all of that leads to nerve entrapment which is often what we're treating. In fact, when you had your disc herniation, I've had the same thing. Ultimately, it was taking that pressure off the nerve by removing the degenerative part, which is either the herniated disc or the spurs from around that that ultimately are encroaching on the nerve. I've also had disc replacements in my neck because of problems. And I can tell you, it was a godsend. When you talk about the improvement in my life 
with that, I was able to function and perform my career as a spinal surgeon after my neck surgery. My hip surgery just let me be more active and more functional, but it wasn't affecting my ability to work. The entrapment of the nerves in my neck, which ultimately required disc replacements, that allowed me to go back to being functional, still active in all my aspects of my life. And I, you know, I play golf, I work out, I play tennis, I fly fish, I do lots of things, but I'm able to do that. But most importantly, I can do my career and I could do my career with arthritis of the hips. Wasn't as happy that I could do it, but with the arthritis in my neck causing nerve function to be lost in my arm, I couldn't function. And so it's so empowering the positive life change we can get from this modern spinal health care. But again, if you don't have strong bones, then we can't do any of the treatment. So it's all dovetails together and ultimately coming back to how to best treat people. And really, if I had to summarize something, it'd be to say people need to understand that they have a huge responsibility to themselves to be able to have the quality of life that they want. And for them to have that, they need to have an appropriate exercise, get the appropriate nutrition in, take care of getting enough sleep, doing all the different things that impact their health to avoid nicotine, absolutely. And when you take a look at that, if you're doing the right things, then ultimately you can have a better quality of health and you're taking personal responsibility for making sure that your body is able to function optimally as you can on its own. But if you need to be repaired, that you have the strength in your bones and the ability to overcome and get back to your life. And we're all living longer. So it's really important that we take care of ourselves. And as we've you know, discussed on this short conversation, you know, it really begins in childhood and kind of extends throughout our lives. And if we can build those good habits, that kind of you know, sets us up for the rest of our life. I also love the whole uh, philosophy of Eastern medicine about the body as an ecosystem and that we need to sort of think of all of it working together, as you sort of said. The impact that one thing can have, the rest of the ecosystem that is our body, is just incredible. But the solution is similar across all. You know, we've looked at osteoporosis and heart disease and diabetes. And, you know, as you pointed out, nutrition and physical activity and all the things that we recommend to prevent one chronic disease helps prevent every other chronic disease. And it's a matter, as you said, of personal responsibility for us being able to do what we're capable of and what we have the ability to do is controlling our intake and our nutrition. And then again, the physical activity is so important. Now, I would imagine the National Spine Health Foundation has a ton of resources available for patients. Can you tell us a little bit about what they might find on your website or other resources that they can tap into if they're looking for more information about better spine health? Sure. We have a bunch of different initiatives. The preeminent one is something called Spine Talks, which is the nation's leading providers discussing spinal health issues for patients discussing treatment options and different thought process in terms of what kind of neck or back problem do people have and how to best solve it. It can range from discussions of bone health, but usually it's focused more on treatments, on what treatments are effective, what treatments work, and then discussing different options. There are so many different procedures and treatments and theories that are out there in terms of dealing with spinal health care that we just collaborate with the nation's top doctors to discuss this and share it. In addition to that, we have podcasts, we've got online resources and linked to other organizations that have resources that we think are important for patients to understand and be aware of. That's terrific. For this podcast, we'll also have links to the National Spine Health Foundation available for listeners so you can find out more about the treatments and procedures that Dr. Schuler has highlighted for us today and other just terrific resources about how important it is to protect our spine health 
So thank you so much, Dr. Schuler, for your knowledge and insight on maintaining good spine health. And we'll, like I said, have these links available on the NOF resources and on this podcast so people can touch base with the National Spine Health Foundation as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bond Talk as much as I enjoy talking with our guest, Dr. Tom Schuler. If you did enjoy this episode, please do two things. One, subscribe to Bone Talk so you never miss an episode. And two, please share it with all your family and friends so that we can continue to promote good bone health and good spine health. Thank you, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the National Osteoporosis Foundation's podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved and or help fuel NOF's mission with financial support, visit nof.org.